Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from pro and college basketball to UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your awards. Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. This is episode six of season five. Thank you for being with us and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running. And we have a uh, very special episode for you today. We're going to be talking about uh, this sort of, um, obviously, NIL, name, image, and likeness, which I'm sure many of you have heard about uh, as it's sort of uh, moved across uh, these United States and obviously started out in California with the Fair Pay to Play Act. But then, of course, um, other states began to... uh, enact certain laws that uh, reflected uh, their vision on NIL. And um, there are many states who have implemented this and have put forward NIL. Uh, There are some states who have not enacted it. And uh, now we have states that are beginning to uh, change their NIL laws. And this is based on, uh, you know, experiences that have gone on, you know, since July of 2021 that have somewhat, um, brought into question some of the NIL tactics or some of the NIL um, sort of market-based decision-making and and how the law can sort of help to change some of that. So uh, we're going to be looking at the Florida legislature's changes to their name, image, and likeness law that just occurred. And, um, you know, basically this month in February, and the ripple effect that it may have um, across the union and with other states. So now this is interesting, right? Because we're talking about a uh, a state legislature that just voted in July of 2021 is now voted to repeal its existing law and change it. Uh, there are still some provisions that are going to be in effect that uh, you might be used to, but there's three uh, sort of... Um, important changes that I want to highlight. And I also want to talk a little bit about California and some of the changes that they're considering. So the Florida legislature, and this is in a, a great article in the um, uh, in Sports Illustrated uh, that was published on February 10th, 2023, entitled Florida NIL Amendment to Give Schools More Power in Facilitating Deals. So what this change does, this is one of the three changes I want to highlight. 
is that it allows the universities to essentially, in some sense, take control over some of the NIL deals with the athletes. So if you remember or recall, uh, in California, the Fair Pay to Play Act, essentially and pretty much with many of the NIL um, legislation across the country, the universities were not allowed to be involved and they pretty much had to keep things separate, right? Well, what this law does is it says that schools can have a part in these NIL deals, meaning they can make introductions and they can help broker these deals. Now, of course, what that looks like and what that eventually ends up being uh, could be anybody's guess. But I, I think that the thought process behind here, behind this change, is that the universities were finding it hard to not only monitor some of the NIL deals, especially if they weren't reported or even if they were reported, getting a grasp on what the terms and conditions were, uh, which might be as simple as sharing the contract or reporting what the contract is. Uh, but ultimately, the universities were in a tough spot because they weren't able to not only monitor it, but then I think from a competition standpoint, they felt that they couldn't compete with other schools because maybe other schools in different states uh, had more opportunity to help negotiate some of these deals. And this is sort of comes down to the model that's used, right? Because in some states, you might have NIL deals that are allowed, but the school is highly involved and it's highly regulated. Whereas in other states, not so much, right? So Florida is basically saying, hey, look, um, from a free market standpoint, the students can either use the university as a resource or they they can't, meaning that they have a choice to do that. So I think this is actually a, you know probably a good thing. I think there's some questions that come out of it. Um, but uh, again, I think this law, it passed the Florida legislature unanimously. Uh, and it's likely to be signed by Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, and again, it's going to allow universities to assist in the introduction and brokering of NIL deals uh, with college athletes. Now, of course, the initial NIL law in Florida forbid that. Um, and it forbid university employees from procuring any of these deals and acting as an agent or a go-between of sorts. Um, this new law will allow university officials to introduce and help broker the deals for student-athletes. Of course, one question about this new arrangement um, will be the appearance of impropriety and the issue of universities using NIL to recruit and induce college athletes to sign with the underlying institution by guaranteeing some level of money. Uh, but then there's also the issues of whether universities will profit from these introductions and deal making and whether there's some issues in impropriety with that. So that's something to keep in mind. The second thing that this Florida, this new Florida NIL law is going to do is it's going to make the education of college athletes mandatory surrounding NIL deals, uh, specifically with regard to financial literacy and entrepreneurship. I actually think this, this piece of the legislation is brilliant, and I think it's something that all NIL laws should require in that you know if you're going to be putting money into somebody's hands, you want them to be educated as to where to put that money. Um, where to invest it, uh, you know, how to be an entrepreneur and how to have financial literacy. I think these things are really, really important. So this law is going to require it. It's going to require that when money exchanges hands, there has to be some level of education that occurs uh, with regard to financial literacy and entrepreneurship. By the way, the NFL and the Players Association in general, in general already do a lot of this work. 
colleges are doing some of this work. Um, companies like Altia Sports Partners do a lot of this work where they partner with schools and then provide financial and NIL education um, you know, for the student athletes and for uh, the employees of the university, typically the athletic directors and athletic departments and the folks that are doing any of the recruiting, right? So I think this is going to be a good thing. Um, uh, and, and of course, I, to my knowledge, I'm not sure that other states have required this to this point. I think Florida is the first. Um, and, you know, again, even though California was the first to pass NIL legislation through Senators Nancy Skinner and Stephen Bradford, um, that uh, they're actually they made the first they were the first to author NIL legislation. Uh, Florida was the first to go to set a go live like, go live date in 2021, which eventually California matched and the other states matched to go. Because initially California wasn't supposed to go live until I think about 2023 or 2024. Uh, and of course, Florida is going to be the first to enact major changes to their existing NIL law. And again, this is just two years after the fact. Um, so I applaud the state of Florida for uh, being proactive and looking at this. Now, look, in my mind, the two provisions of both allowing schools to help introduce and broker these deals and also requiring education, um, to me, they're both very practical in nature. Um However, I think one thing to keep in mind, of course, which is probably obvious at this point, is that one important provision from the existing NIL law is that college athletes will still be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness in a sort of free market environment. The difference now is universities will be able to use um, sort of use sort of the opportunity of NIL to help broker those deals. Um, but of course, universities are at least under the Florida law, are not able to use NIL as a recruitment or an inducement uh, tool. So uh, that's obviously something to um, to consider, right? Now, the sort of this issue of sort of using NIL to induce or recruit students, um, you know, student athletes, college athletes, it, it creates a larger issue for the NCAA and universities and college athletes uh, and frankly, it's something that's really ripe for abuse and corruption. And I think some states are starting to see this. A lot of athletic departments have referred to NIL as the, the Wild West. I think new NCAA president Charlie Baker, who's the former governor of Massachusetts, um, you know, he's sort of known as somebody who's been bipartisan and helping to bring people together. I don't think he's going to get Congress to pass any laws, but I think Charlie Baker could have a significant impact on the NIL model meaning that he could really step step up the NCAA into a role of, of moderator or uh, as compliance, uh, which is the role that it should be serving because it is a private entity and uh, the government should not be involved in, in the regulation in that sense, particularly when you're talking about 50 different state laws or potentially 50 different state laws and, and definitely 50 different areas to do business, whether or not that state has a law or not on NIL. So, he, so again, President Baker's got a tough task ahead of him uh, to bring the NCAA up to speed on anti-corruption, compliance, uh, monitoring, education, uh, also this issue of parity in conferences. Um, there's sort of been this growing disparity between power five, the Power Five schools, you know, which is the ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, and Pac-12, um, 
which has really more become in recent years the Big Ten and the SEC, uh, and of course fairness issues. So there's going to be a, um, a, a big potential here for President Baker to um, to have an impact. Third, uh, the third change to this to Florida's NIL law is that it's going to provide liability protection for coaches at universities where college athletes NIL is affected by playing time. Not only is this change practical, uh, to me, it's almost um, somewhat kind of funny in that there would ever even be a question of this. Of course, the coaches shouldn't be uh, be able to be harmed by NIL deals, uh, particularly, you know, for example, the NFL. If a player gets benched, um, you know, or is injured, um, you know, generally he's still going to get paid the money unless the money is not guaranteed or it's based on some level of performance. But under NIL, uh, it's pretty clear across the entire country that uh, NIL cannot be pay for play. Uh, you cannot guarantee in the contract or force in the contract as a level of performance that the the athlete is playing at a certain school or having a certain amount of playing time. Now, from a co- contract standpoint, that maybe doesn't make much sense, right? Because you want, if you're bargaining for something and you want a athlete to do something, you know, whether share social media or be active on a team or, you know, it's like an actor or an athlete that's no longer viable in terms of uh, performing at the highest level, right? But with NIL, it works different, right? Because you can't do pay for play, which is what a typical contract would be. But of course, this is where the gray area comes along because in some sense, why would a company, you know, pay an athlete if the athlete's not playing? But, um, Again, that in lies the dilemma of paying, um, you know, college athletes, and 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 some of the questions that come up. But uh, I think this new NIL law, with providing this this change to the NIL law, I should say, with providing NIL per or uh, liability protection for coaches, I think makes sense. You don't want coaches getting sued because a player gets benched. So, um, but again, this question is still in mind of performance and pay to play. And I think that's something that the NCAA is going to have to grapple with and going to have to deal with, uh, regardless of how you feel about NIL, whether you think it's a great thing or a good thing or a bad thing or a mediocre thing. Um, NIL is going to have to deal with those issues and they're going to have to solve them uh, to create a sort of fair level playing field. Now, of course, uh, traditional NIL deal pull, deal pulls from three buckets, right? Um, money, product, and or equity uh, in a company. And sometimes it's a mix of those, or sometimes it's one or the other, or maybe sometimes it's two of the three. Uh, and usually this is an exchange for posting on social media, advertising, endorsing, or consulting, or some similar activity or job. Um, but again, there's been some serious questions in this sort of wild west era around whether NIL contracts can be connected to performance, playing time, or whether a college athlete is playing for a certain university. Um, which frankly has become more of a problem or an issue in the transfer portal era, right? Where you have college athletes transferring from one school to another. Now, of course, as long as NIL exists legally, there are going to be questions um, for the NCAA and for President Baker, the incoming president of the NCAA, for universities and legislatures. And they're going to have to come up with solutions to solve some of these problems. Because, you know, I think when NIL was created, the whole point was that it would not be pay for play. It would be a free market system. Um, 
you know, so again, they're going to have to grapple with those issues. Now in California, it's interesting because they're almost going, um, I wouldn't say they're going the opposite direction, but uh, I think they're digging in deeper as to where money comes from for these college athletes. California was the first to introduce the NIL law and then other states followed. But uh, it was sort of clear from California's standpoint that it would be a free market system, meaning the college athletes could go out and broker these deals. They could hire an agent or a lawyer and uh, they would be able to keep whatever money they brought in as opposed to, let's say, Georgia, which there is a pooling fund uh, where money that comes in gets pulled into the athletic department and goes to other athletes and other programs. Uh, but California was pretty open market, uh, you know, in the sense that you bring in whatever you want. And as long as the underlying deal did not conflict uh, with the underlying university. So you couldn't sign a deal with Adidas if, you know, if your school was signed with, you know, Nike, that sort of thing. And then wear that equipment on the field. Because the whole value of that deal would be, um, you know, obviously made somewhat moot. Now, of course, athletes may make the argument that, well, we should get a part of the television dollars or we should get a part of, you know, any, um, you know, apparel that is signed. And what this California law would do is it would give 50% of any television revenue that came in um, to the athletes and it would pull into a college fund. And each individual athlete would be paid the same amount of money. Now, when you're talking about, let's say, in the Big Ten, $70 million per year per school starting in 2024, uh, that means that they would split that. So each side would get, um, you know, what, $35 million. And uh, so that means 35 to the school and then 35 to this college athlete fund. You figure... You know, how many athletes are in an individual school, let's say 500 to 1,000, depending on how many um, how many sports there are, that's quite a bit of money. Um, now, whether this law actually passes, I'm sure that the, the big lobbies with the universities in California, particularly UCLA and USC and Stanford and um, San Diego State, Fresno State and uh, Cal are all going to be fighting against this. Um, particularly with UCLA, who has a hundred over a hundred million dollars in athletic department debt as it stands today, and uh, would need that money to get out of debt. And plus, the whole point of leaving to the Big Ten was to gain this additional money. Um, and of course, Title IX issues are brought up because anytime the money is brought in, this is why the law would require that it be equally distributed because you would not be able to discriminate based on sex by saying. You know, uh, we have female athletes here, male athletes here, and you can't have X dollars going here and then less dollars going here, right? So very interesting. My guess would be that the law does not pass. I, I think that um, there is too much at stake. And then even though the law does talk about uh, that this legislation would not implicate employment, um, you know, employment relationship. I think one of the problems with guaranteeing payments and paying players based out of a pool of money is that, uh, at least according to California's AB5 rules, uh, which defines independent contractors, there's a potential that that money uh, would lean more towards defining the, these um, college athletes as professional athletes and as employees. So, uh, and of course, an, an employment misclassification uh, dispute would be a major litigation issue for universities and for the NCAA. 
And, um, you know, I guess in my mind, legislatures might be better off from an efficiency standpoint on regulating the existing NIL free marketplace to ensure that college ed- athlete education and protection and NIL compliance is um, is consistent uh, as there is issues remaining with recruiting and collectives and boosters. And I think legislatures would be wise to force professional leagues to create uh, established minor league systems and remove rules on being drafted from college. Um, and then the threat would be that you uh, threaten um, uh, antitrust exemptions meaning that the either the removal or the weakening of those. That may seem like a drastic position from Congress, but I think that's where Congress can maybe have a play here uh, because I think for too long, uh, particularly the NFL and the NBA, have used the NCAA as a recruiting system. And of course, now money is starting to exchange hands and people are being paid. But I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing for me is choice. You want to be able, athletes want to be able to make the decision of going pro uh, versus, um, you know, having to get drafted or go to college to get drafted, right? You can go play overseas, but you're not going to have the same level of exposure. And of course, once you go play overseas, there's this issue of, okay, now you've been paid to play and you're not going to be able to move through the draft in that way. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very interesting, uh, sort of how this plays out, but, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I guess one clarification I might make is I guess if you did play overseas, uh, and you skipped college, um, you could enter the draft, but you would not be able to come back and play college basketball or anything like that. And there has been some players that have done that because there really isn't a college sports system overseas that's sort of uh, unique to the United States. But um, this is sort of where we're at. But I think uh, these changes to the Florida law, uh, particularly with allowing schools to help broker the deals uh, with requiring education and um, – providing liability protection for coaches, I think are very smart changes. I think some of it does bring up some questions as to pay for play and not these changes, but I mean, the, I think there's still some remaining questions as to pay for play. I think there's some questions as to, um, you know, what is pay for play and whether recruiting uh, NIL can be used in recruiting and is it being used in recruiting and then, uh, again, this issue of will the universities be able to profit uh, from these NIL deals if they're helping to broker them, or will they be forbidden from doing that? So I think these are all some very interesting issues, and I think California's law, um, you know, New York initially had introduced a, a law in the early days of NIL looking at maybe splitting television revenue with athletes, but it did not make it. Um, I, I, my guess is this is not going to make it either. I think the lobby is too strong with the schools. And I think, um, frankly, paying television revenue, uh, and, or paying any, uh, athletic department surplus to the athletes, which is what the law requires or would require in California, I think would create not only an employment problem, uh, but frankly, um, I think schools may even be in a position to fold up shop and, and, and just not play that sport anymore because I just don't see. Um, or particularly UCLA and USC might, uh, if that, if this law were passed, they may not even leave, uh, the big 10, uh, because the money, the money gained, uh, would be lost, uh, you know, in the sense that if they're going over to get paid additional monies, there might be a problem if that's being taken away in, in terms of, uh, splitting the revenue, regardless of how you feel. I think it's just a practical 
sort of issue that these schools and these athletes are going to have to deal with. So anyways, folks, appreciate you listening in. This has been episode six of season five, talking about where NIL goes from here. And uh, and with particular focus on the Florida legislature's changes uh, to their NIL law, and which is likely to be signed by the governor, and California looking at potentially uh, having television revenue uh, or any sort of athletic department surplus be split 50%, uh, 50-50 with uh, existing college athletes. So we shall see what happens. But uh, as always, appreciate you listening in. This show has been brought to you by Bet Online. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans, and this is the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. As always, appreciate listening in and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much.